Welcome to the weekly podcast of Grace Valley Church. We're thrilled to have you join us. Our goal is to guide individuals towards Jesus and help them fulfill their divine destiny. Our hope is that you'll experience a renewed encounter with God today. For additional information about our church, please visit mygracevalley.com. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's message. And today I want to show you a picture uh, of a, a different uh, item. That is a, a skyscraper, I believe. And uh, this skyscraper that you're about to see uh, is the Shanghai Tower. Uh, look at that thing. Isn't that That's huge, right? Uh, this tower is uh, the second largest in the world. The tallest is actually the Burj Khalifa, and it towers over that by about 700 feet. Uh, but this building that you see here uh, is 2,073 feet high. It has 980 what they call pilings that they drive deep into the ground. It goes all the way to the bedrock. They have to get to the solid ground so that they can put these pilings in. These pilings are five feet in diameter, 980 of them. On top of those is a 20-foot slab of concrete that goes all throughout there. How many of you know that's quite a base foundation? And the the truth is, is how high they want to go up is how deep they have to go. About 282 feet is, not about, exactly, 282 feet is how deep they went down to get that. I want you to understand that our heart for this series is that you and your heart and your life would have a root system and a foundation so deeply rooted in the Lord that we are able to build and go high. We can only go as high as our roots go deep, as strong as our foundation is. And so we're diving in this week and we're uh, this this season uh, as we dive into this series talking about what that looks like uh, for you and I. We want our root system to go so deep. Why? Because we live in an ever-changing world, an ever-changing society. We understand that we want our faith to rest on a bedrock truth that even in the midst of ever-changing world that we know Jesus Christ is our firm foundation and that will never change. That's our heart for you. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? With all your soul, with all your strength, and what else? With all your mind. If we are not engaging our intellect, we are missing a great portion of what it means to be rooted in Christ. We need to have an intellectual credibility to our faith. We need to have that. We talked about a faith that moves mountains. We, we learned how to step into that and what the Bible talked about and what that looked like. But we need to also, along with that faith, have an intel, intelligent, uh, intellectual credibility to our faith. It does take faith. And it, it takes more faith for me. I, I said this last week. It takes more faith for me not to believe in God than it does to believe in God. He is our creator. So we're going to go deep. We're going to take our root system deep 
uh, into what we call and, and really understand what God is speaking to us. Last week, we talked about uh, we can dig deep roots because we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he created the universe. And we, t- if you missed last Sunday, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Uh, just a, an incredible uh, picture of God who created the universe and how we know that that took place. We also know that our, our passage of scripture that we're looking at is in uh, Colossians chapter two, verse six and seven says this. So then, just as you received Christ, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up like that skyscraper you just saw. We, we want to be rooted and we want to be built up in him, strengthened in the faith. And as you know, because as we learn from his word, as we're taught, we want to be strengthened in our faith. And I love this part that he closes with this overflowing. Come on, how many of you want to live a overflowing life? An overflowing with thanksgiving uh, and, and gratitude and gratefulness. And as we take a look at this passage of scripture, I, I, I mentioned last week that we were talking about, uh, last week we talked about the creator and he was creation. I don't know if you heard, uh, the, the message that was kind of proclaimed and also kind of a prayer. One of the, one of the phrases that was said during our worship time during that moment was, he said, you hold all things Together, how many of you know the Lord holds all things together? I did a study about nine years ago, ten years ago now, uh, about uh, this this thing in the universe that science calls dark matter. Dark matter uh, is this: it is a hypothetical kind of matter that cannot be seen with telescopes, but accounts for most of the matter. In the universe, wow, that's interesting. Uh, this existence and the properties of dark matter are inferred from its gravitational effects on visible matter. So that that they can see, they're saying, is affected by that which cannot be seen. Does that sound? Okay, maybe it's just me. Um, This existence that takes place, the properties are inferred from its gravitational effects. Dark matter has not been detected directly, making it one of the greatest uh, mysteries, excuse me, of astrophysics. Do we have any astrophysicists in the room? Awesome. I saw some hands. Because you're studying it. I love it. I love it. Listen to this. Dark matter neither emits nor absorbs light or any other electromagnetic radiation at any significant level. According to the Planck mission team and based on the standard model of cosmology, the total mass energy of the known universe contains these three things. 4.9% ordinary baryonic matter. That's what the the universe is made up of. 26.8% dark matter and 68.3% dark energy. Church, listen to this. Thus, 
dark energy plus dark matter constitute 95.1% of the total mass energy content of the entire universe. And remember, this is undetectable. Science now confirms that only around 15% of the matter that is actually needed to hold the universe together with its gravity even exists. They call this missing matter dark matter. They claim that we will never understand what it is. You know what? They can't explain it. They can't explain what it is that holds the universe together. Let me share with you what the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, he existed before anything else, and he holds the universe, the creation. He holds it all together. Colossians 1.17 in the contemporary English version says, God's son was before all else and he holds all creation together. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter one, verse three, God's son has all the brightness of God's own glory and is like him in every way. By his own mighty word, he holds the universe together. This God who holds the universe, he also creates things. Genesis 2, 19 tells us this. So the Lord took some soil and made animals and birds. God makes stuff. From dirt, y'all. That's awesome. That's awesome. I want you to know the God who placed the stars in the sky, who placed this universe in its place, who placed earth exactly where it needed to be to have sustaining life. This God who sustains, he still creates, and he is alive. He holds the stars together. He has created a day like today where a group of people would gather in his name, whether you're here in this moment or you're watching online. He knits our hearts together. He created the times and the places for you and I. If you have ever wondered, what am I doing on this world? Let me introduce you to a man named Jesus because he will share with you and walk with you and show you everything you need to make it through this life. So lives intersect. Great things happen because we're in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, the world can't explain it. They don't understand. They say that we'll never understand it, but that is what our God does. He holds all things together. So we know that we can be rooted and we can believe and know because he created it. This, we are his creation. So we know because of that, our roots went a little bit deeper. And today I want our roots to go even further. I want them to go down because we can be rooted knowing. And as we understand the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. Today, the title of my message, we, we talked about his creation last week. This week, I want to talk about the resurrection and what that means for you and I, the power of the resurrection for us today. I want you to know this. And, and, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you, if you want, jump on the church app. All the notes are there. But if you're like, boy, I want to get that down or, or right there, there's all kinds of places on there that, that you can take a look through the notes, watch, uh, fill it out. You can email it to yourself and have all of this right there with you. But if you're, if you're not, I want you to, to get this, uh, hear, hear this. And, and this is kind of a premise that we're walking through and are being rooted because we've talked about faith, but now we're talking about growing roots. And a lot of times that really needs to also touch our understanding and our minds. We, we need that. We understand that. Listen to this. There is depth of faith that comes from experience. And there is depth of, of faith that comes from examination. You see, you and I have life experiences. We have spiritual experiences, and those are incredible moments. And there's a great faith that happens when we have an experience with the Lord. And there's another great thing that happens in our faith when we examine and find out what we believe is true. And we're able to stand on that truth. We need to have an intellectual credibility to our faith. We do not in any way check our brains at the door of faith. We step in to know that our faith and our heart meet the truth of God's word. It makes complete understandable sense. And then on the other hand, it makes absolutely no sense to anyone who doesn't have an idea of what that is. But when we align our faith with God, God's word and the truth and these bedrock principles, we come away with a strength and a determination that cannot be stopped. Resurrection. The resurrection is at the center of our faith. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this. I'm reading verse 17 and verse 19. Tells us this. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. Verse 19. And if our hope is in Christ, in Christ, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. So the question we have about the resurrection is this, did it happen? Did it actually occur? How do we come to an understanding and realize what this resurrection means? We put our hope and our faith in it. And how do we understand it? How do we know? How can we come to realize that this moment in history actually took place? First thing we need to take a look at, the first thing that we can see as to how we can understand about the resurrection and how it came to be, the first thing we need to grab a hold of is this. It's called the theory of necessary and sufficient conditions. Woo, deep stuff here at Grace Valley Church this morning. The theory of necessary and sufficient 
conditions. This is a, a powerful term. This is used uh, many times in historical evidence. This is used in forensic uh, investigations. Uh, this is literally the assertion that a statement that is necessary and sufficient is a condition of one another. It means that the former statement is true. If the former statement is true, and it is true if and only if the second statement is true, or the latter assertion is true. That means this, that the two statements must either be simultaneously true or simultaneously false. An example, what are you talking about? Listen to this. Being tall is not a necessity and sufficient condition for being a good basketball player. Say what? Yeah, not every person who is tall excels at basketball, and every person who is short, like me, doesn't excel at basketball. That's not, that's a, a reasonable assertion. It might be true that many basketball players are tall, but that doesn't mean that they are going to be a great, you have to have both the condition and the necessity. You have to meet, they have to mesh, they have to match, and the one has to be true without the other, and without the other, the other is not true. We, uh, My daughter is here with us, and and her, her boyfriend Trevor, and they came in. She was here for the tea yesterday. We're going to watch the football game tonight. Can't wait. And the most exciting thing about it is we get to eat a lot of awesome food. Come on, how many of you are looking forward to some good food tonight? Who cares who wins? The Lions aren't in it. I can now talk about the Lions on Sunday morning. Two Sundays during the fall, I talked about the Detroit Lions, and both of those Sundays, they got destroyed on the field. I started getting text messages, don't talk about the Lions. You're jinxing them. So uh, Ashley's here with us, and Trevor, and and. Of course, they brought along our grandpup, Sophie, and Sophie uh, slept with us last night, and she was on our bed. And I want you to know that uh, when she's there, she owns her space. And last night, she owned her space to the point of pushing me right off the bed. Sophie is sufficient for a sleepless night. However, Sophie is not necessary for me to have a sleepless night. That can happen many other ways. It is not the only condition. It is not the only thing. Okay, how many of you have ever heard, every kiss begins with? All the ladies, they know that one. You know that one, yeah. A sufficient, so does every kiss actually begin? Is it one of the condition or is it the condition? No, I'm here to tell you that if you go to K, you might get a kiss, but you don't have to go to K in order to get a kiss. See what I'm saying? 
So there's this, how do we understand what that means? And, and in order for a theory to be true, it must both be necessary and sufficient to the conclusion. So how do we come to a conclusion about the about this resurrection, that Jesus actually was resurrected from, re- resurrected from the dead. Let's follow along in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 5 tells us this. Verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. Let's take a look at that verse really quickly. You see those words. He died, he was buried, he was raised, and then he was what? Seen. Okay, now we got a little premise happening here. Let's go, excuse me, let's go on in verse six. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Verse eight, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, Paul is talking because he wasn't there to witness. He came to know Christ after. He says, I also saw him as he revealed himself to him. Listen, for I am, this is Paul, I love this, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted the church. He was owning what he had done and he was declaring all the things that he knew and that many had seen Christ after he he arose. So the assertion here is that Jesus died and that he was seen in public, that he died and yet he was seen in public. And this is after the, the resurrection. So is the empty tomb and being seen by others, both necessary and sufficient to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And for it to somehow gain momentum and spread beyond Israel and to the uttermost parts of the earth and that it would go literally the proof of resurrection is not just the one thing. One doesn't stand on its own. He says this, the empty tomb, proof of the resurrection is the empty tomb and public appearances after his resurrection. Resurrection in the Jewish context is a powerful thing. Listen to this. The the resurrection in the Jewish context context always meant and was linked to the restoration of the nation of Israel, that somehow Israel would rise again. And so many times they talked about this resurrection and that it would reestablish Israel. Uh, Ezekiel talked about the valley of dry bones and he saw the nation of Israel like dry bones that would what? come to life, that they would be resurrected and come to life. And and that is a powerful thing when you understand now in the context of resurrection, being the reestablishment of the nation of Israel, Jesus is resurrected, resurrected from the dead. 
Is it necessary and sufficient for an empty tomb and, the, and public appearances to create the conditions that would help and necessitate this radical movement that would spur and go way beyond Israel, all of the Jewish context and all of those things that it would go? Listen to this. Let's take a look at it. The empty tomb by itself is not sufficient to prove that Jesus Christ was was raised from the dead. In that era, in that time, they had these people called grave robbers, and they would go in and they would rob graves. It was a very common practice for graves to be robbed, and they would go in and take any beautiful artifacts or things or bodies stolen, all of those things. So we know that we lived in a time, and that's, that's actually what they said. Oh, the disciples, they've gone in and they've stolen the body. He hasn't resurrected. They, they stole the body. When the disciples found that, it wasn't enough proof. Then we step to the second part. His public appearances probably isn't proof enough. Okay, we have now the empty tomb alone. We have personal appearances alone. I kind of think that that probably could have been washed away over the years. Uh, Literally, they would have been like, you know, come on, you've probably had somebody tell you that they saw something and you were like, you're crazy. You are nuts. You, you are seeing things. You've lost your mind. I think you're smoking something that you shouldn't be smoking right now. Whatever that is that you're experiencing. Listen, they would have washed it away, wiped it away, pushed it away. But here's what we know. He was seen multiple times by many and by both his supporters and his non-supporters. These are the people who connected with him, who knew him, and these are the people who did not know him. He was seen multiple times. Secondly, the second thing that we have to understand here is that without the empty tomb and the public appearances, the belief of the resurrection of Jesus would not have emerged, it would not have gained momentum, and it would not have spread to the first century Jewish context. It just wouldn't have happened. And so that leads us to a second notion. If we understand the necessity, the conditions, that theory, and understand how that applies to the resurrection, the second thing we have is something called historical evidences. Evidence of any kind today reveals what has happened in the past. In forensic science, we take a look at things that have happened or are before us today, and this gives us a picture of what took place in a crime or in a situation. Is there credible historical evidence outside of the Bible and preferably even outside of his followers in the Christian community that that confirm the claims that Christ Jesus was resurrected? The answer is yes. Come on, everybody say yes. Yes. Let's take a look at it real quick. Here's a a theologian named Tacitus. Tacitus uh, was an ancient historian. Uh, He is in his writings talking. Now he's Latin, so he's speaking in Latin. So this word, he calls him Christus, which is the Latin word for Christ. And here he is talking about him. This is what he asserts. Christus, whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hand of Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition again broke out not only in Judea, 
but in Rome. That's a very interesting word. And that is from an outsider's take, calling what is taking place and what is happening here. He calls it a mischievous superstition. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I want my faith boiled down to a superstition. A superstition is what athletes do, right? They, they, they have a superstition. They, they have to wear the same clothes or, or, or hockey players. What do they do, right? During the, the playoffs, they grow their beard. None of them shave because that would, that would be a, that would be bad. You just don't shave during those things. Or, or us fans, boy, we have to put on our favorite gear or we have to wear the exact same shirt, the exact same thing that, that I, I want you to know there's probably hundreds of thousands of people who took note what they were wearing when the Michigan Wolverines won the national championship. And they will revisit those articles of clothing next year because they want to put them on. There's this, this superstition. What we have to understand is this word superstitious in this context is a little bit different than the negative connotation or, or that connotation that we see here. Listen to this. In Latin, super means to stand above. And stition, which is the other half of that word, means awe or amazement. To stand above this superstition. What they're saying is these people are standing above and what took place was awe-inspiring. It was amazing. I want you to know that even those outside of Jesus' circle took note of what was happening in that moment following the resurrection. Another great historian named Josephus. Uh, Josephus was another non-Christian. He worked in three different Roman courts under different emperors. This guy was the guy. He's who everyone went to. Josephus, he wrote this. He said this, about the time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he wrought surprising feats. He was the Christ. That's huge coming from a historian who was not a man of the faith. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day, he appeared to be restored to life and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Come on, how many of you know the tribe of Christians still has not disappeared? It has still not disappeared today. Wow. Some came and said, well, there's just this stolen theory that, you know, he was stolen and, and they stole the story because several of the gods of the countries around them had, had, had these, uh, gods that they served that had actual created resurrection stories. Uh, these gods were, were, were this. There was Baal in, in Canaan. There was uh, Melkart in Syria. There was uh, Adonis in Greece. And there was Osiris in Egypt. Each and every one of them had a story that had the power of resurrection in them. So it became common thought that the disciples may have stolen him and that they're stealing a story of resurrection from one of the gods that are around there. Here's a very very critical distinction between Jesus and these four mythical creation. Here it is. 
There is no historical evidence whatsoever that Baal, Melkart, Adonis, or Osiris, listen to this, either lived, died, or rose again. That distinction and that claim is reserved for one and only, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a theological claim found in the Bible. It is a credible and compelling historical claim as well. The third thing we see here are the eyewitnesses. I want you to understand there were many who saw him. There were hundreds that saw him. Let's just take a look at those who were closest to him. A list of incredible disciples who knew Jesus, walked with him, excuse me, experienced him and survived to tell the story. John was boiled in oil. He actually survived to move uh, off to an island. We understand that. But these are the followers of Christ who did not. We know that Peter was crucified upside down. We know that Andrew was crucified. We know that Thomas, come on, we all know Thomas. Come on, we're a little bit like Thomas many times, right? Thomas was run through with the spear. Philip himself was crucified upside down. Matthew was stabbed to death. Bartholomew was was skinned alive and then beheaded. James was stoned and then to finish it off was clubbed to death. Simon was sawed in half and and not this way. He was sawed in half this way. He was sawed in two. Matthias was burned to death. If you don't know who Matthias is, Matthias is the one who replaced Judas Iscariot who who betrayed Christ. And And then they took a vote and he was the one that was voted in and he was burned to death. Some believe and propagate that the, the, this whole resurrection thing was just some incredible hoax that, that it could have just, you know, they, they pull a story, uh, the grave robbers, they're making up a story. So you've got these two pieces to that puzzle. And what we understand here is that, uh, uh, we, we see these, these things that took place and as they walked into this moment and that somehow these men concocted this idea, let me ask you a question. Based on what we know of humanity, what I know of myself and maybe what you know of yourself, let's ask this. Is it really reasonable to believe that somehow separated from each other in different places, in different times, would in this moment were willing to be put to death in this matter simply to cover up a lie. Come on, how many of you have ever lied? How many of you went down fighting? I'm holding to this lie. Nope, come on, hold the line. Hold the line. They'll never know. They're gonna know. But that, that's a whole nother ballgame. To hold a lie and they say, well, you're going to be put to death. Oh, no, 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 I'll tell you the truth. Hold on. Let me tell you what's going on. 
that each one was willing to die in order to cover up a lie, is that more reasonable or is it more reasonable to believe that they had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ and they witnessed him die, be put in, raised to life, and wow, come on, which is more reasonable? The eyewitness claims of the resurrection are credible because they came from both Jesus' strongest supporters and from his strongest critics. So how how can we know it's true? Well, we learned today and we understood just from this very quick and simple, there's so much more, but I had to just compile it into this. We know this. The theory of necessary and sufficient conditions shows that this claim that Jesus Christ raised from the dead to be very, very rational in its basis. We know that the historical evidence shows the claim to be even probable that this happened. We know that the the eyewitness accounts that we see here, the eyewitness accounts show the claim to even be credible. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead. Some say you need a blind faith to follow Jesus. But today we learned and we discovered that it is not a blind faith at all. It is rational, it is probable, and it is credible. It is not only rational, it is also probable and it is credible that you and I would understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we would be able to put our roots and to know that this God who died and rose again, that he came and he died for us, that is rational. That is probable. It is even credible. As we close our service today, can I just talk very quickly to you this morning and somehow let this resurrection understanding and everything that we've just heard and in our mind somehow now go from our mind, the intellectual side, that somehow we let this information seep and go deep into our hearts. He proved his power and authority to forgive our sins. He proved himself. He proved that he has the power and authority to forgive our sins. Listen to this, because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we have reason to put our hope and our faith in him. We have a reason to trust him. If you have trust issues, if you can't trust people, let me introduce you to someone that you can put all of your hope and all of your trust in. Because his victory over sin, his victory over death becomes our victory over sin. It becomes our victory over death. That you and I can experience victory in our lives because we serve a king who is victorious. Because of that, you and I, we can have new life. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead, our old self, our past, our failures, our mistakes, our regrets, even our successes, they become made completely new and and washed away. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Meaningful, 
fulfillment of scripture, you and I can experience new life. Next thing that we can experience is this powerful thing called hope. I want you to know that you can have hope today. We can dive headfirst into a broken world that we are surrounded by and still have hope. We can look and hear what's going on in the news. We can see what's happening in society. We can look around and we can shake our head, but we don't have to. What we can do is hold our head up high and know that this God that we serve created the world. He died and he rose again and he holds the world in his hands. And if he does that, and if he cares about me, guess what? He holds us in his hands too. So we can step out of this place today. We can go to work tomorrow. We can go about our business. We can carry this incredible message that he is risen with us every day of our lives. And it brings us hope. I want you to know the hope need, the, the world needs a hope that is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no ideology that will last. We are seeing and watching foundations crumble around us. There is no ideology. There's no social ideology. There is no political ideology. There is zero ideology that will last. There is only one thing, and the only thing that will last is hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our hope. The worst can happen, but our faith remains. Come on, how many of you have a faith that remains? God, help us to have a faith that remains. Help our faith and our roots to go deep. We have a reason to put our hope and our faith in Christ Jesus. We have a reason to do it. We can have hope. We can believe and know that Jesus resurrected from the dead. We can know that that is truth. I I pray and I would love for you to study this out. Go home. You got those notes, man. Go take a look. Walk through that. It is the most powerful, powerful thing. Don't just take my word for it because it was on the screen. Go study the scripture. Read the word. Study it out. Watch the the ignition switch will just fire inside of you. If you want to have a deep faith in the Lord, if you want to accomplish great things, if you want to live for him, let's let our root system go deep and not just live from Sunday to Sunday, from moment to moment. Let's live every single day rooted and grounded in the word of God. We can believe that, we know that. I don't know if you're here today, but we serve a God who rose from the dead and he still has resurrection power today. And I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what difficulties you have. I don't know what dreams you may have had that have died. I don't know if you are walking through a, a moment that you're, man, you're looking and that mountain is in front of you and it just looks insurmountable and it's huge. And we talked about having a faith that moves mountains. And now we're talking about rooted and going deeper in our faith. I want you to know here today that the same God who raised Jesus The same Father, the same Son, the same Holy Spirit is alive and active today. And the same power of resurrection, the word tells us, is now in us as his followers. And that you can experience that resurrection power in your heart and in your life. With everyone looking right here at me, 
if you're in this room or you're watching online right now and you're, you're, you're here or you're there, wherever you are hearing this, how many of you have some things in your life that you would love for them to be resurrected? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now all across this room? Come on, give it to the Lord. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all, we understand, I know. And we're just a couple minutes past our time, but can we just press into the Lord today? I don't know what you may have that needs resurrected. I don't know what loss you've suffered. I don't know what difficulty you're going through, but I want you to know today you can experience and have that same resurrection power that Jesus had, that he experienced. It can flow to your situation today. All across this room, as I prepare to close this service, Would you just stand to your feet right where you're at? Would you just lift your hands to heaven as I I close in prayer, as our worship team comes? We're going to sing this song. And if you have to go when we we, uh, end here, you may, but I just want you to know we're going to open these altars and we're just going to spend a few moments in his presence. If you need God to touch you in your situation, Nobody, listen, we know, come on, there is not a person in this room, if we're being honest, does not have issues. Come on, look at your neighbor, tell them right now, you got issues. We understand that, we know that. (laughs) Church, can we bring our issues to the Lord? And say, God, here I am. Here's what's, what's, what's hurting. Here's what's broken. Here's what's need, needing a resurrection touch in my life. So listen, I want to just let you know that at the close of this service, if you need to go, God bless you. Have an amazing week. Stop by the cafe, connect, say hello to those in here. We're also going to just open this altar. And if you want to spend a few moments saying, God, here I am. I'm bringing my brokenness. I'm bringing my hurt. I'm bringing my pain. And, and you know, right now we don't even have have people who are going to come and pray you're just going to get alone and pastor kelly is going to sing and the worship team's going to play and we're just going to experience god's presence and experience what god has maybe you're here today i want you to understand this if you need healing in your body resurrection power still heals today and he brings hope and a restoration if you have a broken heart I want you to know he's the mender of our hearts. He will mend yours today. So Heavenly Father, here we are at the close of this service. We're ending a little different today. God, we just invite you to do a work in our hearts and in our lives. And God, I pray over every single person here, every single person watching right now online, I pray your presence just begins to flood their hearts, flood their soul, flood their situation, meet them where they are. And God, for those who need to leave, I pray your blessing upon them and their homes and their families. God, I pray that you would minister to them and that you would touch them and may their week be in a amazing week. And Father, for this moment, we pray that as we seek you, that you would do great and mighty and unsearchable things 
in your presence. In Jesus' awesome name. Come on, would you sing this song with Pastor Kelly and the team? Would you just sing it with them? And then we'll be dismissed. If you would like, feel free to come. Find a place and bring those things to this moment and to this altar. And let's seek his face together. In Jesus' name.
understanding all that you have done and the truth behind creation, the truth behind your resurrection. Lord, we understand and know those things. And so God, we stand today on the bedrock of those truths and we ask that you would move mountains in our hearts, mountains in our lives. If you're in this room right now, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to this moment that you can ask Him to be the Lord of your life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite everyone here to pray with me. The Bible says all we have to do is ask Him to come in, and He will step into this moment, and He will touch us, and He will bring new life. He will bring hope. He will bring. Come on, if you're in the room today and you need new life in Jesus, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Yes. Anyone else? Yes, sir. I can't quite see the balcony, but I want to try. Yes, I can now. Yeah, I see that hand in the balcony. Come on. Church, can we just celebrate over these three right now who have raised their hand? Come on, let's just celebrate. The Bible just says all we have to do is ask and he'll come in. He'll touch your heart. He'll touch your life in this moment. Can we just pray together in this right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are here. And Lord, I pray that you will touch these hearts right now. In Jesus' name, would you all repeat after me? Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Come into the broken pieces and the broken areas of my life and heal me and forgive me and set me free. I want to live for you. I want my life to shine for you. And today, I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, let's give him praise. Come on, church, let's lift up his name together today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God bless you as you go. The worship team's going to continue to play. If you want to come and pray and just be in his presence, you can stay in the sanctuary. If you need to go, God bless you. Have an amazing week in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.